This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. In the annals of Indianapolis true crime, it has been the nightmare that has persisted the longest. On the surface, the torture and murder of Sylvia Likens is not much different from any number of heinous crimes. A teenage girl left under the care of a strict authoritarian whose idea of discipline is physical abuse that escalates until the abuse victim dies. However, compared to other crimes, this case is far more distressing. Not only because other adults came to the Banaszewski household and saw the battered 16-year-old and didn't raise any alarm, or because the people responsible faced virtually zero justice, but arguably most heinous of all, it wasn't just the woman trusted to care for Sylvia, Gertrude Banaszewski, who carried out the abuse, but also her own children, some as young as 10, and other children in the neighbourhood. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Horror House. It's Dom. And Amy. And as always, thank you for joining us this week. Hopefully, after hearing that introduction, and if you're aware of this case, you have decided to stay. But we we appreciate you checking us out. And of course, as always, we want to say that you are a beautiful, beautiful human being who's doing amazing things. You're, you're killing it. You're awesome. You're here. You're supporting us. And we're so very, very thankful that you're always supporting us in any way you can. Amy, I know it's only been a few days, but how are you doing today, my lovely? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm not too much different from the last time we spoke, which was nearly days ago. <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. Um, I'm dubious about this case. I do know dubious. the name. That's all I know. Um, uh, I, I know the name. I know vaguely okay, I, what I, happened. I, but yeah, I mean, considering generally the only thing I'm good for around here is to um, make things and just bring your windows and make jokes. I'm a little bit nervous about how I serve on this episode, but you know, we'll we'll make it happen. We'll make it work. <laughs> I had a feeling that you might know the players at hand, not necessarily the case itself as such, but I had a feeling that when I said Gertrude Banaszewski you would be like, oh, okay, that name sounds familiar. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, we will, where we can, keep it light. I don't know if that's the right word. I apologise um, in advance for the inappropriate joke I will inevitably make. <laughs> um, I don't mean it. It's just my coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it's it's just a it's a pretty harrowing case. Um, but obviously, where we can, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it a little bit light because at the end of the day, it's going to be a pretty harrowing hour plus if if we're we can't sort of lighten things up where we feel like it's where we're capable of doing so yeah so, I mean, we don't want to start on a downer we don't want to start 
you know, being sad. Like, it'll be fine. We'll make it out the other side. We always do. So let's stay positive. (laughs) And hopefully we won't come away from this mentally traumatized or no more so than usual. I've already got a old school Disney cartoon queued up on Disney Plus that I'm going to put on immediately after this recording. Because I know that I'm probably going to need some Disney pick me up. Absolutely, I'll be doing the exact same thing. Although maybe <laughs> not Disney Plus. I might. I don't know. Maybe I will watch The Office or something. Just to, yeah, get the mood back to where it needs to be. Office is a good shout. Yeah, Office is a good shout. So yes, this is the case of um, Sylvia Likens and her unfortunate torture and murder at the hands of Gertrude Banaszewski. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with Gertrude Banaszewski. By the end of this episode, you're going to be probably a bit too familiar with Gertrude Panaszewski. Um, and sorry <laughs> for that. I'm going to apologize now. So those who know about this case will know what kind of trigger warnings that to, to look out for. Those who obviously have heard the introduction will, will could have a guess as to what the trigger warnings will be. There's going to be a lot of talk of abuse um every kind of abuse sexual abuse physical abuse emotional abuse mental abuse just abuse as a whole um there's going to be talk of torture there's going to be talk of um branding and and mutilation um yeah it's not pretty pretty crappy things but like i say we will we will do what we can to make it bearable <laughs> This is why I tend to avoid very heavy episodes. This is I probably won't do another heavy one for a while after this because the next I, one I've got lined yeah, up particularly... is hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. Obviously, it's a crime. Oh, thank God! And <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not laughing about crying. Crying is bad, but this one is particularly funny. I think we'll, you know, we might get a little bit of a break on the next episode. So if this one yes. scares you, <laughs> come back because it's not always that bad. <laughs> yes, next week um, will be very much a palate cleanser after after this. Okay, then let's let's get started on the case of Gertrude Banaszewski and the torture murder of Sylvia Likens. Sylvia Likens was from a large impoverished family in Northwest Indianapolis's Indianapolis's Indianapolis Southern Boone County. Um, Lester Likens, her father, had only completed the eighth grade and worked many various jobs to support his family. He had a laundry route, uh, worked in factories, and even tried his hand at owning a small restaurant. He had previously travelled while operating a concession uh, cart selling meals fares. um, Jenny, who is Sylvia's sister, was the more shy and reserved of the pair and walked with a limp due to polio. Sylvia um, had a more assured exterior and went by the nickname Cookie. Um, She was pretty, but because she was missing one of her front teeth, she never smiled openly. I like the nickname Cookie. I don't know why. It's just rather pleasant, isn't it? Cookie. Yeah. It's a pretty pretty, pretty nice name. Yeah, it's cute. I like it. Also relatable because I'm currently missing it for my own stupidity. I'm currently missing a tooth also, so I also don't smile. (laughs) Um, and that's the reason that I will claim that I never smile. If you ever see Amy smile, it's a Photoshop. Don't don't fall. For yeah, it. absolutely, it doesn't happen. It's the the no photo's way. been doctored. Absolutely, it's just she has it's just not my personality. I'm afraid I'm not chirpy. You can be. I it know. Be. I shouldn't depends. say that 
out loud. <laughs> it depends what we're talking about. To protect. <laughs> I'm actually very chirpy on this show. Like in terms of, you know, recording this, I'm always very chirpy, but it's because we're talking about crimes and murders. So Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. That is true. And 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 you're recording with me. I mean that's not Oh yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. A, a great experience. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I meant to say that first. But I, I just thought I figured it went without saying. Amy's just like this is a necessary evil, the recording with you part. I actually just enjoy talking about crime. <laughs> I'm not going to keep giving oh, you compliments. Dear. You know I like it, so shut up. Get on with the case. I know. <laughs> Do you hear how she talks to me, Liz? God damn. You should hear what I say when the mic's off. <laughs> um, in the summer of 1965, Lester and his wife made the decision to travel once more. With the funfair, which required finding childcare for four children. Diana, the oldest, had grown up and got married by this point. Um, Danny and Benny, the two boys, were sent to live with their grandparents. And that would leave the two girls, Sylvia and Jenny. Um, and this is where Gertrude Banaszewski enters the picture, unfortunately. The third of a total of six children, Banasuski was born Gertrude van Fossen in 1929. Little is known about her early years other than the fact that she had a distant relationship with her mother um, and was very close with her father. When Banasuski's father passed away in 1940, a further rift was created between Gertrude and her mother. Uh, five years later, Banasuski dropped out of school at the age of 16 to marry 18-year-old uh, Deputy John Banasuski. Uh, by by whom, uh, with whom she had four children, the temperamental John frequently beats his wife for quote annoying him. It sounds like a stand-up man. They were married for ten years before being divorced. Um, Gertrude would be given custody of uh, their children. Within a year of of the divorce, Gertrude would marry Edward Guthrie, uh, who promptly filed for divorce after three months because he was. He would tire of kids being around. I mean, surely you knew that she had children when you married her. <laughs> Can you surely imagine? You knew this. Just kept them hidden <laughs> all the way up until the wedding. And then as soon as they got back on the wedding night, she was just like, surprise, here's all my kids. <laughs> it's like, why are, the, why, why are these little kids following you around? And she's just like, well, because believe it or not, I'm their mum. I, I, I thought that you were aware of this. <laughs> I made this quite clear. <laughs> You didn't look. take one look at my childbearing hips and think, yeah, she's got some sprogs knocking about. <laughs> um, so in something akin of a plot of some, in some movie, shortly after Gertrude and Banaszewski would make amends and would get remarried uh, before oh, again separating in 1963. Christ, over yeah, the rollercoaster, didn't it? didn't last it? long because... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I did wonder why she was still called yeah. Banaszewski. I was thinking, hang on a minute, why would you not change your name? But now it makes sense. That's it. Um, so, so yeah, Gertrude and John would get remarried before separating again in, in 1963. Uh, the couple would be married for seven years and would have two additional children. So that's six children we're on now. Yeah, that's six too many. Well, yeah. So around this time, uh, Gertrude would meet and move in with Dennis Lee Wright, who would further abuse her. Uh, Gertrude would fall pregnant another two more, another uh, two times. 
suffering a miscarriage on one occasion, which was likely a result of the abuse from Dennis, and giving birth to her final child, uh, Dennis Jr. In all, she would have seven children and suffer six miscarriages. Now, I know that I'm making Gertrude out to be a, a sympathetic character so far. Abusive partners, number of miscarriages, had a pretty bad relationship with her mum. That is something to be sympathetic towards. But I just want to sort of hazard people not to look at her as a sympathetic character too much. And you'll find out why. She's not a very sympathetic character. Like, I have sympathy for her upbringing, but that's kind of as far as that goes. And I think that's quite a a familiar theme, really, isn't it? That we, we talk about people and we're sympathetic towards their upbringings, but that doesn't mean that you can then go on and do what you're known for doing unfortunately no i mean i think there's there's plenty of women men whatever who are abused as children there are plenty of women that have as many miscarriages if not more miscarriages than she's had and yes it's not something that anyone should ever have to go through but they don't all go on to do the sorts of things that you know she's about to do so it's it's not really forgivable but no. yeah, you're right. It is. No, I think it's not. good to understand that you know these people didn't have like you know peaches and cream upbringing, and it's not like this incredible situation that they've you know they're not good girl gone bad or anything. It's it's you know there was a lot going on that has maybe maybe warped her mind a little bit into yeah. thinking that abuse and things like that is normal when of course it isn't. Again, not making any excuses, yeah. but you can kind of see where it comes from a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and th- there's a few points where I talk about some of the theories as to why Gertrude did what she did. And, you know, it is along those lines. Um, you know, and like you say, people have upbringings similar um, to this, you know, and, and they don't turn into the kind of people that we talk about. They use it to advocate for abuse victims. They use it to you know, become public speakers about, you know, the subject, you know, and, and start charities and organizations, you know, and stuff like that. You know, they, they turn it into a force of good, um, which is something that Gertrude very much didn't do. And I also want to remind people that this is a woman who is a mother, but yet was still happy to do this to a 16-year-old girl. So that kind of puts it into perspective as to why you shouldn't really be sympathetic for her beyond her upbringing. So, yes. Um, After uh, Dennis Wright Jr. was born, uh, Dennis Wright Sr. would leave Banaszewski. She was effectively left penniless because Wright had been providing for her. Uh, She was now required to support herself and and her seven children through odd jobs around town, like babysitting and doing other people's laundry, as well as sporadic child support payments from the unreliable John. When Gertrude learned that her 17-year-old daughter, uh, Paula, was... Is it Paula? Paula? One of those? <laughs> it's spelled P-A-U-L-A. Is that pronounced Paula or Paula? P-A. Yeah, I think Paula. Paula is P-A-O-L-A, Paula. I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, when Gertrude learned that 17-year-old Paula was three months uh, pregnant after having an affair with a middle-aged married man, her financial issues were swiftly made much worse. 
Gertrude's health started to deteriorate significantly around this time. She was suffering from a number of undiagnosed illnesses, has stopped using proper hygiene practices, and hardly ate. Eventually, these factors uh, started to have an impact on her appearance, leaving her with a receding hairline, sunken eyes, and a generally skeletal uh, appearance. To maintain a veneer... Yeah, yeah. um, Sounds like Gollum. (laughs) I'm just picturing Gertrude as Gollum now. That's quite funny. (laughs) I mean, it's basically all the same characteristics, right? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) To maintain a veneer of respectability, Gertrude started introducing herself as Miss Wright, saying that she had married Dennis before he left her. So the first week Sylvia and Jenny spent in the Banaszewski residence would go without incident. They went to high school, participated in adolescent social gatherings with the Banaszewski children, and on Sundays would go to church with Gertrude. However, things would change when Lester's $20, uh, child's, uh, $20 payment would fail to show up. Banaszewski would throw a temper tantrum, screaming at the two girls, quote, I, t- I took care of you two bitches for nothing before forcing them to lie across the bed with their skirts and underwear around their ankles and would proceed to beat them. Um, Lester and Betty would arrive in town shortly after to check on the two girls, but neither of them mentioned the beatings, possibly out of fear of Gertrude. All of that over a missed $20 payment. That's a tad overreactive Gertrude, just a tad. Yeah, it's, it's a bit much, isn't it? Although. We say that, again, not justifying what she's doing. What she's doing is bad. No one's denying that. But she was probably very, very, very reliant on that $20. And that could potentially be the difference between feeding her family for a week and not feeding them. So I think it probably, to us, it's like, oh my God, it's $20, what the hell? But to her, it was probably like her lifeline for that time. Again, not excusing the reaction, but, you know, I think there's probably more anger behind it than we maybe comprehend. So the following week, uh, Sylvia and Jenny would go through the trash in the neighborhood to find used Coca-Cola bottles that they could sell uh, to buy candies with. Gertrude would accuse them of stealing when they would bring the candy home. Uh, Sylvia explained how she obtained it, and Gertrude would accuse her of lying and forced her to bend over the bed once more while beating her across the behind with a paddle. Uh, Soon after... At a church social, the Banaszewski children went to Gertrude and expressed um, their disgust at the amount of food Sylvia was consuming. Um, Banaszewski told Sylvia that she was angry, uh, that she would do something to ruin her physical appearance and force the girl to eat hot dog pile, eat a hot dog piled with condiments, which, you know, makes sense. You're complaining that she's ruining her physical appearance and then you force her to eat a hot dog filled with condiments. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of counterproductive, um, that, isn't it? Plus, like, she, fucking, so what if she wants to, eat, you know, she might like her food. What, what's, what's wrong with that? What's the problem with well, that? Well, I assume it's because she's not getting much food with her. I was going to say at home, obviously it's not at home, but like back with Gertrude, she's probably not getting fed that well. So she's probably fucking starving, the poor lamb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let her have a hot, yeah. hot dog. Let her have some free church food. That's what Jesus is all about, isn't it? Fucking love speeding people with his loaves yeah. and fishes and shit. Let him do it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, plus, like, it's got nothing to do with the other Banaszewski, Banaszewski children 
what food Sylvia is eating and how much of it she is eating. That that has nothing to do with them. No. Nothing to do with Gertrude either. No. Really. Um, Mind your damn business. If I so, want to eat a whole pizza, I'll eat a whole pizza. Oh, sorry. I've, I've you know, to bring it no, no. in my face, my bad. <laughs> I mean, I got a pizza a few days ago and I ate like 90% of it in one sitting. So it's fine. I, I understand. <laughs> you didn't eat the whole thing. What a pussy. I know because I wanted some for the breakfast the next day. That's why you ordered two pizzas. Duh. It's bad enough that the Domino's man probably knows me by name by this point. I don't want to then <laughs> have him rock up with two pizzas. And now he's like, oh, are you having company tonight? And I'm just like, nope. <laughs> Give me the pizza and leave. Yeah. I'm that really annoying person where like you have a couple of friends over and you order pizza and I'm like, oh, let's get this and this and this. And I'm like, let's get two pizzas, let's get pizza each. Let's get these sides. Let's get dessert. Let's get this. Let's get that. And then as soon as it gets here, I eat like two slices and then I don't want any more. And I like have to force feed my friend <laughs> the rest of it. So it doesn't go to waste. My <laughs> eyes are always bigger than my belly. So I think Sylvia might have been the opposite yeah. in this situation. She was just starving. So, yeah. When Sylvia would throw up, Banaszewski would force her to scoop up the vomit and eat that as well. Oh dear Christ! That's not. That's not good. No. That's not fun. Soon after, uh, Lester and Betty Likens would return to check on the girls again. As per Gertrude's orders, Sylvia would make no mention um, of this incident. Uh, what appeared to coincide with Gertrude's rather steep decline in mental stability uh, would occur in 1965. Gertrude would overhear a remark from Sylvia regarding allowing a boy to, quote, feel her up. It would be fair to say that Gertrude didn't handle this particularly well. Um, why, you ask? Um, and that's because she erupted into a fit of profanity, called Sylvia a prostitute, accused her of being pregnant because she allowed a boy to touch her vagina and told the rest of the Sil rest of the family that Sylvia was carrying a child. Then, Sylvia was attacked by Gertrude, who kicked her repeatedly, guess where, in the crotch. So either my sex ed was woefully misinformed, or that's not how you become pregnant. Like, I don't know. I mean, Maybe my sexual education let was, me just say informed. that if getting felt up is how you get pregnant, I would have had many kids by now. <laughs> also... Now, I'm not being funny, but Gertrude's one to fucking talk here, all right. So the girls get, she's out, she's having a good time, she's young, you know, she's using what she's got, bless her, give her a good time. She's having a shit time at home, she might as well, you know, have a fun time with a boy. But Gertrude's one to talk, you've got seven kids, love, and you've been divorced twice, three times, <laughs> I don't even know, I've lost track. But clearly she's not winning any prizes for, you know, being the Virgin fucking Mary, so how nourishing to criticise? Yes. 100%. Um, you know, don't throw rocks if you're living in a glass house is, is the saying that I'm exactly. coming to mind. Get on back this in one. your fucking uh, cave, Gollum. Chill out. <laughs> oh, dear. But, uh, but yes, um, Gertrude uh, obviously doesn't quite know how, how baby making works because that's not quite how it's done. Um, imagine as well, like, just kicking her repeatedly in the crotch. Like, why Why is that yeah. necessary? I mean, it's, it's not great. Oh. I mean, granted, it's probably not as bad as if you were kicking a man in the crotch multiple times because vaginas can famously take quite the pounding. But nonetheless, you're not going to want to be kicked in it multiple times. That's not going to be fun. Uh, no, definitely not. So, yeah, 
this is uh, just one of the many reasons why you should not feel sorry for Gertrude, um, because she just she's not a very good person. In addition to this, Banaszewski would let her older kids use Sylvia as uh, sort of a living plaything, engaging in, quote, games that included beatings and pushing Sylvia down the stairs. Not particularly fun games, I must admit. You're right, that doesn't sound fun. Also, what the hell are you teaching those kids? Like, going back to what I said earlier about people like that not being allowed to breed, she's literally just bred, like, seven little fuckers that are going to think this is totally fine. 100%. It's still unclear why Gertrude was so incensed by Sylvia's story. It's been hypothesized that she engaged in Sylvia's humiliation and torment out of self-loathing since she saw in Sylvia the beauty and chance for happiness that had long since eluded her. Others have proposed that Benazuski's difficult life and current living circumstances led to a mental break. I would say that there's pro- there probably is a there probably is a, an element of self-loathing, and now she's taking her lack of self-worth out on Sylvia. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think there's a lot of resentment there, maybe like that's I, especially if that's kind of like the trigger point as well. If the trigger point is that this young woman, this young attractive woman has gone out and you know managed to attract a man that's not something that given the description you gave earlier i'm expecting gertrude to be able to do particularly easily so probably is a bit of a oh well do you know what you may be able to do this but i can do all this stuff to you which is horrific obviously but also very sad yeah so the day after banisuski would repeatedly repeatedly kick sylvia in the crotch uh, according to Jenny. As an act of vengeance, Sylvia and Jenny told their classmates that they had seen Paula and Stephanie, um, who is Banaszewski's second oldest daughter, having sex with boys in exchange for money. Uh, Coy Hubbard, who is Stephanie's 50, or who was Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, would visit Banisus- the Banaszewski residence and beat Sylvia after finding out what Jenny and Sylvia had said. A middle-aged couple called Phyllis and Raymond Vermilion, they sound like they have money, money, just by those names. I'm not going to lie. Phyllis mm-hmm. and Raymond Vermilion. It's a great name. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is. I can just picture Raymond with a monocle and, a, and a, some sort of flashy suit, maybe a, maybe a bit of a, you know, rich man stick. Yeah. He's got a really like the posh Monopoly accent man. as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly like the Monopoly man. <laughs> <laughs> He's fancy. <laughs> so, yeah, they would buy the empty house next to the Banaszewski household in August 1965. In a, in a rather uh, misinformed decision uh, or misinformed thought, given the number of kids that Banaszewski looked after, Phyllis thought that she would be a wonderful babysitter for her two small children and that by paying for her services, she would also be helping Gertrude out as well. Obviously, she wasn't to know but what we know, that's a bit of an error in judgment. I don't think that Gertrude Banaszewski's babysitting services is something that you, you would want to seriously look into. No, it's not the best business model already, is it? So to help the two families get to know one another, the Vermillions organized a back, uh, backyard barbecue. Uh, Phyllis observed Sylvia roaming around the garden during the barbecue with a noticeable black eye. Um, and Paula, as the lovely, lovely child that she is, would proudly inform Phyllis that she was the one who had given it to her. 
Uh, then, with Banaszewski watching, Paula would go over to Sylvia and throw a glass of steaming hot water in her face. The Vermilions did not notify authorities about this. They did not say anything. Seeing Sylvia get a boiling hot glass of water chucked at her wasn't enough of an issue for the Vermilions to, I don't know, call child services. Someone. Mm, yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. It's fucking I, I, dumb, I just, isn't it? I like, don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know. know. You just You see these situations and you just think, something about this is off. And granted, there's been times in my life where I've seen something happen and I'm thinking, do you know what? There's something not right about that. And I haven't always gone immediately to the police. Like sometimes I've gone to, you know, if it's in a club, I'll, I'll go to the club, you know, staff or whatever yeah. and say something. So... I mean, maybe that was their logic. Maybe it was like they go and ask other people at the party and they're like, oh, no, that's normal or whatever. But that's definitely an assault. Like there's no, there's no <laughs> yeah. getting around that. There's like it's boiling hot water in someone's face. There's no other justification in your head as to, oh, that's normal. Maybe she was just giving her a nice facial. Like, no, it, it's an assault. You've just witnessed an assault and therefore you yeah. need to do something about it. Oh, no, absolutely. I don't understand the thought process. I don't know if it's a case of that they were like, this isn't our place. Um, maybe this is how the, the, the family functions, which is a yeah a pretty poor excuse. Um, I just, I don't know, like you said, I don't know why you would see that, which is very much someone assaulting someone else and just be like, oh, okay. Let's uh, let's yeah. go and get some more burgers. It's just like, you know, what? There's just no other way to explain that happening in front of you other than abuse. So why would you not yeah. say anything? Yeah, it's pretty baffling. Yeah. Like it would take all of my willpower myself not to go over to Paula and give her like a massive fucking backhand, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. God damn it, Monopoly man. Get your shit together. Jeez. You should not pass go. Do not collect 200 no. pounds. <laughs> Straight to jail. So if you thought that that was uh, an error in judgment, well, uh, well, oh, um, the Vermilions, uh, you know that, what is it, that SpongeBob meme where it's like, you want to see me do this? And he's like, you want to see me do it again? Uh, you want to see the Vermilions do this again? Because oh, they do. Um, so Phyllis, <laughs> uh, Phyllis would visit the... Uh, Banasuski residence two months later to borrow something. She would observe Sylvia meandering around in a stupor for the brief time that she was there, her lips puffy and her eye black, her black eyes shut. In front of Phyllis, Paula would start beating Sylvia with a belt to show how this had happened. Once more, Phyllis failed to inform the authorities of anything. Fuck's sake, Phyllis. Do you know what? We talk about a lot of shit on this I, I, podcast. I, I, like, we, we talk about some really fucking harrowing shit, like abuse, murder, just just horrific stuff. But do you know what? I don't think any of it angers me as much as fucking stupidity does. And that's all this is. Yeah. Like, how stupid do you have yeah. to be to witness and not tell someone, not alert authority? Yeah. Even if they rock up to the house and go, oh, do you know what? Everything was fine. Like, it was a false alarm. You've been a bit silly by calling us. At least you can sleep at night knowing that you did your bit. Like she, yeah. this person must have yeah. found out what was going on after the fact. 
So like after this all came out, she must have found out what was happening. And how do you live with yourself after that? 100%. And like you said, she she could have called the police and, you know, they could have come to the house and, and you know, been like, oh, it's a false alarm or whatever. But at least, at least if you've done that, the police have a record. They've been to the Banasuski household yeah. because Sylvia has a swollen eye. They can yeah, note that down and they can use it like, yeah, exactly. They're not aware of anything, unfortunately, because for some reason, Paula thinks that not only seeing someone get scalding hot water lobbed at them, but also like physically witnessing someone getting beat with a belt isn't enough to to inform authorities. Yeah. I mean, what's it going to take? Child. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. So sometime after this, uh, Likens would once again um sell used coke bottles for cash uh Banasuski, um naturally accused her of prostitution when she got home obviously selling used coke bottles and prostitution are exactly the same thing according to gertrude anyway making the same um, amount of money yeah um apologies in advance for this um for this bullet point especially as a i guess reprimand for for selling used Coke bottles for cash. Um, in front of uh, Gertrude's sons and a number of neighborhood boys, Gertrude would bring Sylvia into the living room and under the threat of beating her sister Jenny, would have her stripped naked. Given a class Coke bottle, Sylvia would be forced to masturbate with it in front of the room full of boys. Embarrassed. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Not very often that I'm speechless. <laughs> Not very often that I've got nothing to yeah. say, but um, I, yeah, that's pretty sick. I mean, what can you say? Like, just there's no logic. There's no sense. There's no, you can't reason with, with a woman like this. You just can't. I mean, you can't reason her actions either. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously got some sort of power thing, right? She needs to feel like she's in control. Mm. I, I don't know. There's like a, I don't know. And they cancel a part of me, maybe, that wants to try and break it down and find out, you know, what happened to her that's made her even think to do this kind of stuff. But there's another part of me that's like, nah, fucker, you know, she'll, <laughs> she'll rot where she needs to rot. And it, it doesn't really matter why she's done it. The point yeah. is that she's done it. Yeah. You know, you think, how did she, you know, get that power? You know, was she abusing her own children? And this was what she was making them do? Were they willing participants? Were they particip- participating because they felt they had to? But the, the you know, neighborhood it's... boys as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. even just her own kids. She is potentially traumatizing just children that aren't even hers. And again, how yeah. how did this not get stopped sooner? Like, how did one of those boys not go home to his own parents and go, yeah, so I went round, you know, whoever's this <laughs> today, and, and this happened? Like... Was it told to the parents and they just didn't do anything? It feels like there's a lot of people just not doing anything. Yeah. There's a lot of people that could have said something that chose to say nothing, which is one of the most unfortunate things about this case. Rather unsurprisingly and rather unfortunately, Sylvia would become incontinent after the Coke bottle incident. Um, Banaszewski determined that because of this, she was no longer uh, fit to live with people and imprisoned her in the basement. The lack of a toilet forced Sylvia to defecate and urinate on the floor. Um, when Gertrude saw this, she began a, quote, bathing regime to, clo- uh, to quote, cleanse Sylvia. 
The regime consisted of filling Gertrude's bathtub with scalding hot water, uh, binding Sylvia's wrists and ankles, and then dunking her into it. Um, to add insult to injury and to quite literally rub salt in the wounds, Paula would rub handfuls of, handfuls of salt over Sylvia's scorched naked body after every one of these baths. Sylvia was transformed into, <laughs> it's unfortunate to say, say it like this, but a business opportunity by the Banasuski children who charged nearby kids money to uh, gawk at her naked body or to push her down the stairs. Um, and she would, be co- uh, she would be kept constantly naked and would rarely be fed. I mean, this is what I mean. Like, that, there's obviously, there's blame to be placed on the kids. But also, it's hardly surprising when the mother is encouraging this sort of behavior, you know, when children will copy their parents. And that's, yeah. it feels like that's what's happening here. Children are very much, they will mirror you. You know, children, teenagers, they'll mirror, they'll mirror your actions and they'll mirror what you do because they think that's what they should do. Uh, so Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, uh, John Jr., often forced Sylvia to clean the basement by uh, allowing her, I want to emphasize that, uh, they allowed her uh, to eat her, eat her own feces and gave Sylvia a container to collect her urine, which she was then forced to drink. On October the 21st, uh, Banasuski gave John Jr., Coy, and Stephanie the order to fetch Sylvia from the basement and tie her to a bed. Uh, Sylvia was promised that if she could contain her bladder, um, she would be allowed to sleep upstairs. Uh, the following morning, when uh, Gertrude checked Sylvia, she was found to have wet the bed. Uh, Banasuski made her get dressed and then led her into the living room where she was once again made to perform a striptease for her sons and the neighborhood boys, culminating in yet another instance of Banasuski making Sylvia masturbate with a glass Coke bottle. Sylvia was then permitted to put on clothes once she was finished. Um, However, when Gertrude brought up Sylvia's fabrications against Paula and Stephanie, she remarked, you, uh, quote, you have branded my daughters, so I will brand you. Sylvia was once more forcibly stripped naked, restrained and gagged as one of the Banasuski kids heated a sewing needle with a series of matches. And unfortunately, it doesn't take the skills of Sherlock Holmes to know what followed that. Um, Gertrude would carve the letter I and a portion of the letter M into Sylvia's stomach when the needle turned orange. She then gave Ricky Hobbs the order to keep carving the letters until they said, quote, I'm a prostitute. I'm proud of it. After the process was complete, the tattoo, which uh, included the actual carving as well as third degree burns from the heat of the needle, was so severe that it could not have been repaired even with modern plastic surgery. That kind of puts into perspective how just bad that must have been. Yeah. Again, it's, it's just how... I think this is a bigger picture here in that we do this and, and as in this as the podcast and people listen to this and they listen to, you know, True Grand Podcast because I think it is, we've said it before, a fascination with the human condition and the idea that another human being, let alone another woman, could think to do these things to another woman and it'd be fine. Or, or she gets yeah. something out of it, you know, is is so far removed from how my brain works that I think this is the reason that we find it fascinating because there's just no, it's just so 
baffling. It's so non-understandable that it's difficult not to want to know about it more. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's uh, as, as morbid as, as, as this case is, I think it's a case that people should know about um not not because it's you know some torture porn that people can listen to or or not because you know it's something that will be nice or or whatever i think it's it's a story that needs to be told and i think it's a story that needs to be told so people you know know about sylvia and what she went through and what kind of woman gertrude banaszewski was yeah i think just the fact that women like um, exist well, is it's just yeah, it needs yeah. to be known for sure. Yeah. And that women can be just as cruel as men can. You know, <clears throat> I think it's it's easy sometimes to feel like men are cruel and that you know, that we talk about a lot of male serial killers and and male abusers. Like even in this, you know, we started off the episode by saying that Gertrude was abused by her husbands and, and all of this kind of stuff. But actually women are equally as capable of doing stuff like this. And it's it's definitely something that yeah. yeah the story is worth being told just alone yeah absolutely you know and and i know that people are probably going to hear me say this and go oh you know you, you know you're a man you know you can't you know say this or whatever and like you say women are abusive obviously not every woman but there are exceptions and and there are some terrible women out there that we talk about you know and and it's not very often that they that they they do this kind of abuse i found that quite often men are the ones who who use physical violence and and they're very physical with it and the majority of the time women serial killers go about it differently they use you know poisons they use other methods that aren't necessarily purely physical um you know but where we're seeing in this episode that they're you know that's not the rule that there, there are some women who very much use physical abuse as, as as a part of their methodology and it's it's so um i, I don't want to say clever the clever was the word that came to mind it, it's not clever but there's there's ideas behind the sorts of things that she's doing that make it so much scarier yeah. like the you know the masturbation in public the the stripping and naked the making her do that in front of people it's not just about teaching her a lesson it's about humiliating her it's about you know there being an audience to that humiliation so that she takes takes it away with her and even the you know the writing i'm a prostitute on her on her stomach not only is that horrific like to to go through that ordeal but it's then going to be there ever again it's not clever but certainly true i think if there was ever any idea that this was premeditated then that's out of oh, the yeah. window when you start doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This wasn't a spare of the moment. Been, like none of this has been spare of the moment. This has been very methodical, very well thought out. Um, so uh, Gertrude would leave the room after she was satisfied, leaving Sylvia bound, gagged, and naked in the middle in the middle of Sylvia's chest. Ricky, Paula, and Shirley Banaszewski. Um, the Banaszewskis daughter who was 10 just want to repeat that her 10 year old daughter decided to carve the letter s the three would later debate whether the s stood for sylvia or slave though the latter explanation 
was being favoured as being accurate. At this moment, Banaszewski returned to the room and asked Sylvia, who was still tied and gagged, quote, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now. You can't undress in front of anyone. What are you going to do now? To retort, Sylvia was ungagged and would say, quote, I guess there's nothing I can do. It's on there. Uh, Hubbard then took Sylvia back to the basement where he used her for uh, essentially judo practice for a period before returning home. Jenny, uh, her sister, would sneak down to the basement and uh, see her sister in the middle of the night. Uh, And Sylvia would reportedly say to Jenny, quote, I'm going to die. I can tell. And I think we're going to pause it there um, and we're all going to take a collective breather and... (laughs) get prepared for the second part of this episode I think Amy what do you think yeah normally when we say let's take a break I'm very much like yeah this is just so we can take a break and hopefully hear from some other podcasts <laughs> in the gap I never actually knew one but I think today I actually to to take a long <laughs> moment yeah um if I had a if I had a cuddly toy I would be clutching it or I'd go and grab it and clutch it right now but unfortunately I don't yeah, maybe I'll make there. another cup of tea in the break. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Maybe a, a whiskey and coke will, will help. Um, yeah. Cool. So we shall see you back here in just a few moments. Hey, gang. It's Daphne and Velma. We're the hosts of Stir the Pot, a podcast where we talk about true crime, paranormal, ghost stories, and your mom's favorite gateway drug the devil's lettuce. Speaking of. What is your dream blunt rotation, Velma? Oh, I feel like that's easy. Bigfoot and Sydney Prescott. Mm. What about for you? Mothman and Keanu Reeves. Okay, I can absolutely see Mothman, but Keanu? I love him, first of all. And isn't he about to play H.H. Holmes? And didn't we cover H.H. Holmes? In my very first episode, you know, Chicago is very near and dear to my heart. I think Bigfoot is near and dear to your heart, too. What kind of weed do you think he would smoke? It would be an indica, easily. I feel like with his height, he would have a ton of back pain. And because he has so much social anxiety from hiding from us all the time and being the hide-and-seek champ, he would need something to calm him down. Well, if we ever find him, we should definitely have him on the podcast. Come join us for all the spooks, all the scares. Take a hit and pull up a chair. Find us on Instagram at stirthepot underscore pod and your favorite podcast platform at stirthepot. But remember, y'all, it's Puff Puff Pass. And stay dangerous. Hey, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. And we're the hosts of Malice and Mocktails, a true crime podcast. We are just two sisters covering cases of both vintage and contemporary true crime. And because true crime can be a bit of a bummer, at the end of every episode, we share with you some of our favorite mocktail recipes. Join us every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, make good choices. Bye. Bye. Welcome back everybody to part two of the case um of the torture murder of sylvia likens that was a pretty harrowing part one and now we are we are diving into an equally harrowing part two uh amy 
How are you holding up? How's everyone holding up, actually? Listeners, are you good? Everyone, are you good? okay? Feel free to reach out to us <laughs> afterwards if you if you want to talk about anything. <laughs> Please do. I'm okay. I um I think a little break was needed. But yeah, it's, we knew it was going to be a difficult subject to talk about. We knew that it was going to be pretty harrowing and and potentially traumatic. And I think that has definitely happened. But yeah, it's important that things like this are spoken about. It's, you know, if this gets brushed under the carpet and people don't speak about it, then there's nothing to stop it from happening again. And, you know, like yeah. a lot of crimes, that's the reason that it's good that they're made public and it's good that, you know, we can learn from from them because it, it prevents it from occurring. So, yeah, I think it's good that we're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Cool. So... A little while after Jenny left uh, the basement, um, Banaszewski would go into the basement, carry Sylvia upstairs and let her sleep in one of the beds. Sylvia was permitted to sleep until midday on the 23rd of October when Gertrude aroused her. Once awake, Gertrude and Stephanie took Sylvia into the bathroom and gave her a warm, soapy bath. Uh, after giving Sylvia a bath, Banaszewski and Paula clothed her before dictating what was supposed to be a runaway letter to Sylvia's parents. The letter would go as such. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night uh, and they said they would pay me if I would give them something. So I got in the car and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I've done just about everything that I could do just to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I've also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. Banaszewski started planning to have John Jr. and Jenny take Sylvia to a neighboring dump and abandon her there to die as soon as she finished the letter. In her malnourished and disfigured state, Sylvia tried to flee when she heard this, but she moved so slowly that Banaszewski was able to seize her. Um, on October the 24th, Banaszewski entered the basement with the intention uh, of beating Sylvia. Initially, she tried to attack her with a chair, uh, but missed and broke it on the wall. She then attempted to beat Sylvia over the head with a paddle, but she swung it in such a broad arc that it came back around and struck her in the face, giving her a black eye in the process. I'll admit that made me chuckle a little bit when I saw when I was reading up on this. That that did gave me that did give me a little giggle. Yeah. I mean I think it's I a just, shame it was just a black eye, but nonetheless. <laughs> if I did it could have been more. I can just like this is gonna sound awful. I know. But I can just I can just picture her like swing about the paddle and in a proper like Looney Tunes way, it just goes all the way back and then it hits her. Yeah. I mean, she definitely deserves more than a black eye in whatever manner it comes to her. She definitely deserves more. 100%. Sylvia was knocked out uh, by Hubbard after he intervened and used a broomstick. Uh, Banaszewski declared her desire to offer Sylvia a warm bath on October the 26th. Um, Sylvia was brought upstairs by Stephanie um, and Ricky, where she was placed in the bathtub while still wearing her clothes. Uh, shortly after, they discovered she was not breathing and they removed her from the tub. Stephanie would give Sylvia CPR, but by this time it was ineffective. Um, and that's because, unfortunately, Sylvia Likens was already dead. 
at the age of 16, um, which is so, 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 so way too young. Yeah. Sorry, I'm doing it again where I just, I'm a little bit speechless, which isn't an ideal quality in a podcast host, but it's (laughs) difficult to know what to say. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Uh, What can you say, really? It's just, you know, she came to, came into Gertrude's care thinking that she was going to, she was going to be cared for and safe and, you know, for, for her entire time there, essentially, she is inflicted, uh, you know, the most horrendous abuse. And unfortunately, it got to a point where it got to this point. So yeah. Uh, when the police showed up, Banaszewski handed them the letter that Sylvia had been forced to type. Uh, amongst the chaos, Jenny Likens would mutter to one of the officers, quote, get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. After hearing this and finding Sylvia's body in the basement, the police would arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, John, Hobbs and Hubbard, all for murder. Uh, Mike Monroe, Randy Lepper, Duke and Cisco, four additional neighbourhood children who were there at the time, were also detained for, quote, injury to a person. Is this sort of one um, scenario with the police actually doing their job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we... Blimey. We don't normally get that. <laughs> we don't normally get that. There's, there's yeah, no sign of McClue in this episode. The police are actually doing something right no. for a change. M- McClue... McClue is is on a different case, so this you know this the police are actually God. doing their jobs properly <laughs> for for once. Prior to their trials, Banaszewski, her kids Hobbs and Hubbard were all detained without bail. Cisco, uh, Duke, Monroe, and Lepper had their charges dropped. Um, the district attorney withdrew the murder charges before Stephanie's separate trial could start, thanks to the efforts of her um, attorney. Before I get to the autopsy report for Sylvia, the sheer scale of the damage done to her is is pretty horrific. Sylvia's autopsy revealed that she had suffered more than 100 cigarette burns in addition to numerous second and third degree burns, uh, extensive bruising and muscle and nerve damage. Uh, She was barely able to move her limbs and was unable to put together a coherent sentence after three months of malnutrition and torture. Sylvia bit through her lips while she was dying, almost severing each one, and her vaginal cavity was nearly swollen shut. Um, a brain hemorrhage, shock, and malnutrition were all declared as the causes of death. Yeah. I mean, it's hardly surprising, it, is it? You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly a shock that she, she died. No. I think if, if I was being put um, through I, like, that, I, I can only own... wish it would happen sooner. I think that's the only thing that I can, yeah. I can think of. If... I was in this situation, I would probably want it to be over quickly as well. You know, you know, this was months of torture and Sylvia had to live through each of these separate injuries for months. Like she had to live through all of these. It wasn't a case of all of these things happened at once and then she died very quickly. This was a prolonged, painful um, existence over, over a period of months. Like even um, even the cigarette burns, like obviously that's minor in comparison to some of the other things on that list. But like over a hundred cigarette burns, when? Yeah, she's like a, she's a sixteen year old yeah. girl. There's only so many places that you can burn someone. Yeah, it, it is. It's just horrific. Um. So in May 1966, the trial of Coy Hubbard, Ricky Hobbs, uh, Ricky Banaszewski, Paula Banaszewski, Gertrude Banaszewski, and John Banaszewski. Uh, began. 
The prosecution demanded the death penalty for all of those charged, including John and Hobbs, who were only 13 and 14 years old at the time, respectively. Christ, that seems, um, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I'm in no way someone that disagrees with the death penalty in the right circumstances. But again, I think for the kids, they've literally been raised that this is okay. And no, that doesn't forgive the cruelty. It doesn't forgive the violence. It doesn't forgive the abuse, both physical and mental. But the person that needs to be punished with death is Gertrude. Potentially Stephanie, because, you know, she's old enough to have understood and to be, have been out in the world a bit more to know that what she was doing was wrong. But the yeah. kids, yes, they should have known it was wrong. Yes, they they probably had enough understanding to, to know that something wasn't right. But they're still of an age where they're doing what their mother's telling them to do. It's a tough one. It's a tough one without like, yeah. you know, being there and knowing what they were doing of their own accord and you know what was their idea and what wasn't and all that kind of stuff. It's really hard to say, but for me... A 13 or 14-year-old, it's not, those aren't people that should be being put to death when there's still time for them to change. Gertrude, I, I don't think she is capable of change, um, and I don't think she would. Whereas John and Hobbs, you know, 13 and 14, that's still very, very young. And, you know, obviously they wouldn't be sent to, like, prison. Prison, they would probably go to a young no, offenders institute or something like that. correction, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But even though, um, so, you know... And that there's opportunity for rehabilitation there, isn't there? So yeah, exactly. There's a chance for them to be rehabilitated. I don't think that like there's not a chance for Gertrude to be rehabilitated at all. But I definitely think John and Hobbs could be. Uh, and I think once they were out of that environment and away from Gertrude, mm. you know, that would help. Maybe maybe that's just wrong, <laughs> but I don't know. That's that's my view on it. I guess. Yeah. The cases of Banasiski and the kids were made worse by the fact that they were being represented by four different lawyers. Um, one for Banasiski, one for Paula, one for Hobbs, and one for Coy and John. Um, despite the fact that they were all being tried together, these lawyers competed with one another and tried to pin the blame on the other, each other's sort of defendants or clients. An interesting defense strategy. Not sure how effective that is. I don't know, it just makes it a bit of a fast, doesn't it? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's less of a trial of someone that's actually done something wrong and more of a lawyer's pissing contest. That's not it's not what it's yeah. supposed to be about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a surprising move, some of the, some of the most damaging testimony against Gertrude uh, was made by Gertrude herself. She recounted outlandish tales, tales of Sylvia being a neighborhood prostitute um, and a tryst with middle-aged married men as well as accusing her of frequently starting fights in the home. Marie, aged 11, was called to the witness stand to support Gertrude's statement. During cross-examination, Marie would suddenly exclaim, uh, quote, God help me, and admitted that everything her mother had said was a big, fat lie. She would go on to describe uh, in gruesome, unflinching detail about how her mother and siblings had tortured and killed Sylvia Likens. Yes, Marie. God for that, Marie. Well done. Absolutely. For an 11-year-old to do that as well, that is, that is um, granted, she could have done something sooner, but yeah. she's 11, and saying something late is better than not saying anything at yeah. all. So credit where oh, credit's yeah, due. 
Yes, Irma Reid was probably shit scared and managed to do yeah. that. So you've got to respect it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, she would be facing Gertrude while she's in, in the dock. Yeah. You know, and she would know that Gertrude is is there. You know, she's listening. And to have the bravery to, to be like, you know what? No, no, everything she said was a lie. And I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. And I'm not going to spare any detail. You know, that's yeah. unbelievable bravery from an 11-year-old. Absolutely. I wonder if the, um, you know, because obviously if she was being sworn in, she would have had to swear on the Bible and, and that sort of stuff. And obviously if she says, God help me, then I wonder if that fear of God got in her. I mean, whatever the reason. Yeah, it yeah no, yeah. She did the right thing, but <clears throat> that's potentially uh, one of the reasons. Absolutely. As a result of Marie um, saying that, you know, this is the actual truth, she would seal her mother's fate. Uh, first degree murder charges against Banasuski were upheld and she was sentenced to life in jail without the possibility of parole, much to the surprise of the people of Indianapolis who were expecting a death penalty conviction. Uh, Paula was found guilty of second degree murder. Um, she appealed and a new trial was ordered. However, before the new trial could start, she entered into a plea agreement and pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter. Uh, she was released from prison after serving three years. Three. Well, that's not very many years. Um, no, very light indeed. Well, I don't, I don't know about you know America, but in the UK, manslaughter is very similar, similar penalties to murder. You, at the end of the day, you're still taking someone's life. Yeah, it's it just doesn't seem like that fits the crime of voluntary manslaughter. Um, it it just doesn't. After uh, my God, let's start that again. After being found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, John, Banaszewski, Hubbard, and Hobbs were each given a sentence of 18 months in a juvenile correctional centre. When Hobbs was, uh, sorry, when Hobbs, who was then 17, was freed, the gravity of what he had done had set in and he would go on to have an, a complete uh, nervous breakdown. He began a regime of heavy chain smoking, which had severely decayed his lungs by the time he was 20. And by the time he was 21, he would be dead from lung cancer. Jesus. Yeah. In a way, is Gertrude responsible for that? Partly, in a way? Partly, I don't know. yeah. I mean, I would say so. It's, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for him. You know, it's, you did what you yeah. did. And, you know, if, granted, there's probably healthier coping mechanisms, but maybe you don't deserve healthier coping mechanisms. Maybe this is, no. I don't know, if you believe in karma, maybe. That's what this is. Yeah, karma is a bitch, as they say. So that being said, back to our favourite mother. No, not you, Augusta Gein. We're talking about Gertrude. <laughs> not you, Augusta. Uh, Gertrude filed an appeal and was given a second chance to defend herself and was once more found guilty. However, this time she was given an 18-year-to-life term. Um, if that's infuriating you listeners, yeah, it infuriated me too. Banaszewski developed into a perfect prisoner during the following 18 years, working in the sewing shop and taking on the role of uh, <laughs> the irony in this den mother to younger female inmates. Uh, by the time she came up for parole in 1985, she had acquired the moniker Mum at the prison, which just makes my fucking skin crawl. Yeah, that is pretty fucking rage-inducing. It's, um, just... it's interesting as well because it makes you wonder if those inmates knew what she'd done because i can't see yeah you know younger prisoners are going to want to be nearer older women particularly mothers 
you know, mothers in prison. I can't oh, they see would that they're going to take particularly kindly to her. So I can only imagine that they didn't know what she was in for. Yeah. Because it seemed like if they did, she yeah, certainly that... wouldn't be taking on that role. No, absolutely not. And that's a that's a really good point. I didn't think of that when I was looking this up. But yeah, if they knew what they if they knew what she had done, especially the mothers in that prison, that would have been a very miserable, miserable time in prison for her. Yeah, they would have there, made there's sure your death sentence. That, that would be if made. they'd have known. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so four four thousand five hundred signatures were gathered from Indiana residents pleading for Banaszewski's continued incarceration over a period of two months. Nevertheless, for reasons that I don't quite understand, Gertrude was indeed given parole. So I referenced um, earlier on in the episode that, you know, if, if for the people thinking that, oh, she might, you know, she might take accountability at the end of, of all of this. Um, well, she did give a, conf- a, a confession. Obviously, this is an audio podcast, so you can't hear me do this and go, confession air quotes um air quotes yeah she would say i'm not sure what role i had in it because i was on drugs i never really knew her i take full responsibility for whatever happened to sylvia that's not that's not a fucking confession that's a half-assed maybe it's on me maybe it's not bullshit statement that's not a fucking confession is very very special place in hell for this woman Mm. like I'm done. <laughs> Again, listeners, you can't see my face right now. I look like I've just eaten something really disgusting and I want, I'm looking for like a bin to spit it out in. My face is just completely dry. Like, I, I, I look, my face is the equivalent of having just like stepped in dog shit. That's basically how I look right now. And, and I think that Gertrude is basically the human equivalent of dog shit. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think even that's too kind. The, the lack of accountability is staggering. Absolutely staggering. I'm not sure what role I had in it. Are you fucking serious? I'm not sure. What Everyone role I knows had you're in guilty. It. Everyone knows you're guilty. Everyone has seen the autopsy report. Everyone's heard the evidence in court. You've literally served the sentence for it. Why is that bullshit confession necessary now? Yeah. What? If you can put that much creativity it, into avoiding what you've done, then channel that creativity into explaining to people how you're now a reformed person, how you're rehabilitated, how you're sorry for what you've done. Even if it's not true, which to be honest, it probably fucking isn't because she sounds like a cunt. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to say the C word. B. Um, <laughs> she sounds like an idiot. Just say it because at least then you can live out your remaining years as a somewhat acceptable human being. But no, instead, you're being an yeah. absolute twat and just, oh, yeah. oh, I'm so, honestly, I'm fuming. Oh, my lordy lord. Um, that's that's our, our prison mother, people. That is that is the, the den mother of the prison that apparently, I just, uh, I can't. Like I said, that's not a fucking confession. That is that is a half-assed admittance of maybe, maybe I'm guilty. Maybe, I don't know. I was on drugs. Maybe I, maybe I did something. But I do take full responsibility for whatever happened to her, even though I don't know what role I had in it. But I take full responsibility. Whatever. Shut the fuck up, Gertrude. Fucking rot. Um, I was on drugs. Oh, that's under the fine guise of... If you were on drugs. Sorry, not yeah. an issue. Yeah. You know, oh, if wow. I snort a line of cocaine and then 
and then go and hit someone with a car, I can't then use the excuse that I took a hit of cocaine. Like I still hit someone with a car. Yeah. Doesn't matter that I took cocaine. So under the guise of Nadine Van Fossen, Van would walk out of prison on December the 4th, 1985 and make her way to Iowa. She would pass away um, in 1990 due to lung cancer, which um, she got a lot more time than she deserved. That's for sure. Although lung cancer is pretty painful. True. Which is, um, you, know, you know, I mean, we can take a little bit away from quite nice that she died in. Yeah. Because so did Sylvia. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't normally say it, but I hope she died in tremendous pain because it's the least that she deserves. So many things are still unclear um, about Banasuski's children. Uh, internet rumors state that Paula relocated to Iowa and adopted a new, a new name. She is allegedly still alive and currently resides on a farm in the rural areas of Iowa. Um, taking on a new name, Stephanie would go on to become a teacher. Uh, John um, would change his identity to John Blake, drove trucks for a living, then became a lay minister and a real estate salesman. He married, had three children, and has lived in anonymity. I think I still butchered that, even though I tried many times. (laughs) Only making a brief appearance in 1998 uh, following the Jonesboro Massacre. Uh, He would speak about the Likens murder for the first time, claiming that a harsher sentence would have been more appropriate and that he accepted full responsibility for his part in the killing. And that's the case of the torture and the murder of little Sylvia Likens. Um, At least it seemed that John took more responsibility than Gertrude ever did. Um, Amy, thoughts, feelings? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I can confirm. There's a lot of thoughts and feelings. Um, <laughs> mostly rage. Again, it's hard to differentiate when you're full of rage naturally. Anyway, yeah, it's so. Again, I'm I'm gonna go back to um, Don. We spoke about it. And we took a bit of a break, but uh, there is a movie of this story. Um, it I can confirm. It's called An American Crime. Um, Elliot Page plays um, Sylvia Lykin and. I remember watching that movie and thinking there is no possible way that everything in this can be true because my main thought was that this woman, Gertrude, as a mother, at some point, something, some sort of instinct, some sort of motherly instinct should have kicked in and stopped her from doing what she was doing. And the fact that it just didn't, made when I was watching the movie made the movie sort of unbelievable I was like well okay maybe it's based on a true story but they've just embellished a bit so knowing now that actually all of that did occur is in a way it's testament to how much we as humans can withstand but also testament as to how much we shouldn't have to like this should never have happened to someone it should never have gone on for as long as it did and I think my main takeaway from it is the fact that there were people that could have stopped it and didn't. So if, yeah. if anything, that's what I'll be taking away, is if you see something that doesn't look right, I literally now sound like a train announcement. Oh, my God. If you see something that doesn't <laughs> look right, say something. See it, say it, sorted. Like, that's the one thing that the British transport police have got right. Just do something about it. Doesn't matter what, just tell somebody. Because if you don't, 
you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. And the worst that could happen is if you say something and you turn out to be wrong, you look a little bit silly for a minute and then you forget about it. You just move on. But if you don't say anything and it is something horrific, you have to live with that. That lives with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's my take, my takeaway from this. You know, if if you do say something and it turns out that you may be wrong or it's not what you thought or, you know, for whatever reason, you know, yes, you might look a little silly, but also that instant will be noted, you know, and then if, you know, you do it a second, you know, you say call him a second time because you've seen something else and they come back and it isn't sorted there and there, that's, they note that down again. So you've got a, you've got a, a trail of incidents there were there were so many windows for somebody to say something whether that was the the hot water incident whether that was the seeing someone literally as a demonstration beat someone with a belt like you saw that with your own eyes it's not something you overheard it's not something that you that you might have heard you know the screams or or you know something else you you saw that with your own eyes but yet you still didn't bother to tell anyone that's two occasions where the police could have noted that they had been called to the Gertrude residence, you know, but unfortunately they didn't do that. And you're right, it, it never should have gone on for as long as it did. And I can't help but feel like this is a, Sylvia has been failed by so many people. You know, she's a 16 year old girl. All she wanted was a normal life. All she wanted was a, a, a household where she felt safe and where she felt secure and, and, a family, yes, Gertrude wasn't her family, but someone who could be maybe seen as family. But she didn't get, you know, she got someone who hated herself so much and had so much self-loathing that she looked at Sylvia as someone that she never was or someone that she can't be. It's just a demonstration of, of why humans are the most dangerous species on the planet, because we're capable of doing stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, a pretty heavy one this week. If you've made it this far and you're still here and we're not just talking into the void at this point, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we hope we made it at least bearable <laughs> to get through. But, Amy, uh, would you like to see us out this week? And just remember, guys, before we wrap up, next week will not be as heavy as this. So just don't worry. Amy, would you like to see us out? I'd love to. No, I can confirm next week will definitely not be bad. Got an interesting little case for you. Hopefully one that I will be re-employed to make jokes about because I certainly have let the side down this time. Um, <laughs> probably quite understandably. There <laughs> we go. And thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode. Thank you for hearing the story of someone whose story needs to be heard. We appreciate you always for listening. Um, if you do like what you hear um, although like is a very strong word in the context of this case um, but if you enjoyed listening today please do leave us a like leave us a review um, on your podcast app of choice give us a like, give us a follow on Instagram shout out any sort of cases you think we should cover in the future we always like to hear your suggestion if you want to support us please please do whether that be financially or non-financially um, we are always grateful for any support that you can give. And again, yeah, just thank you for being here. Thank you for making it through. Until next time, stay spooky. 
Stay spooky. Oh my god, I need a where's where's the where's the bottle of amaretto? I I need me a bottle of amaretto and I need me I need me some Disney. I'm gonna put on Tangled and then hide for the rest of the evening. Yeah, I mean, you weren't joking when you said that was heavy. That was the fucking Hindenburg, wouldn't it, mate? Like... <laughs>